You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. What's up, Tony Gwynn Jr. here alongside John Heyman. Welcome into Big Time Baseball. Have a terrific show for you today. Mike Matheny, Kansas City Royals manager, will join us. They're off to a good start. And we have John Hay- John Heyman's insider. Listen, there's a lot of good stuff in this insider. You don't want to miss it. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tony Gwynn Jr. He's at John Heyman. Follow us at RDC underscore BTB. That's Big Time Baseball. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Big Time Baseball on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. We have joining us Kansas City Royals manager Mike Matheny. Mike, first and foremost, thank you for uh, giving us some of your time today. Yeah, pleasure. It's a pleasure. So I had a chance to see you guys play quite a bit during spring training, and um, it was pretty clear to me that this is a, a, a pretty talented team, and, and not a lot of people are talking about it. What did you think uh, of this of your team's spring training, and then moving into the season, you guys are off to a good start? Yeah, Tony, you know um, people don't um, want to give a lot of credit to spring training. I understand the dangers of putting too much um, weight on what you see in spring training. But uh, I also think that some uh, really powerful things can happen, especially for a club. You know, you're coming off the last two full seasons that the Kansas City Royals have had. They were both 100 loss seasons. So uh, trying to change the mindset and the expectation um, to me is, is the first major hurdle, uh, getting guys to believe in themselves, getting a team to believe in, a, in each other. Uh, and we saw some incremental steps of that through the, the COVID shortened 2020 season. But I believe spring training was very important for us. Uh, the organization did an incredible job of stepping up when nobody else was really spending and jumping in and uh, signing a, a player like a, a Carlos Santana and then signing Mike, uh, Mike Miner, uh, Michael Taylor. Uh, Greg Holland, and then at the end, making a move to get Andrew Benatendi and really putting uh, some some of their money where their mouth is in regards to trying to change the the, the overall look mostly of our offense and uh, to get uh, a different look, different feel, grinding style at bats. So with all that, um, it turned into the kind of spring training that we had hoped for. You saw uh, the kind of at bats we were looking for. We saw kind of a, a group gel together. You're always trying to either grow or or um, sustain a culture uh, organizationally. There's a very strong culture in that clubhouse, though there was some work right. to be done. And uh, for us, it was uh, very important to get off to a good spring start, which I believe now the guys are continuing it right into the regular season. Hey, Mike, uh, John Heyman here. Um, you know, the experts, whatever they're worth, uh, like the White Sox, like the Twins. I, I actually love what you guys did in the offseason. I think the Royals, small, small market team, 
Uh, they're always trying to win. So I, I love that aspect of Kansas City. Dave Moore, the GM, and the owner, the new owner, uh, Mr. Sherman. Um, they're always going for it. Um, now, uh, what do you think about what the experts think? And what do you tell your team? Do you, do you feel like uh, you're going to be a contender this year or are you still a year or two away? No, John, we're, um, we are finished talking about developing and uh, we are constantly talking about winning. That, that's what we're, that's what we're paid to do. First of all, uh, secondly, I believe that's what we're wired to do. Every guy that walks through that room uh, and some of them have never uh, been a part of the evolution of a baseball player. And that evolution as both of, you know, is first you have to prove to yourself or get somebody to believe in you to allow you to get to the major leagues. Then you need to prove to yourself that you belong and prove to everybody else that you belong. And then you get a, uh, an opportunity, hopefully to taste what winning at the major league level is like, or it becomes less about you and proving your ability and then about proving uh, what you can do to help a team do something that's bigger than itself. And so I, I believe we have players that are right in the middle of that entire uh, evolution. And uh, this is a group that uh, has a lot of faith in themselves. You, you go through the room. I was fortunate in our very first meeting, you know, raise your hand if you have a, a World Series championship ring. And we've got a number of guys, whether it was on the 15 team here with the Royals or another a, a, a number of other teams, but guys who've had that kind of winning experience. And that's important for us because it helps set that sets the template for what the expectation is. But make no mistake about it, whether or not uh, the the experts uh, believe in us. That's really not uh, of, of our importance. What we need to do is focus on what we need to do, and that is to go out and play championship-style baseball. We've got a lot of work to do. We're going to have to do a lot of little things right. We know that. Uh, but this group's committed to doing the work. That's what's impressed me because there are a lot of teams and a lot of players that talk about, hey, I, I just want to win. That's all I want to do is win. But are they willing to make the adjustments, take the hard, radical truth, of what needs to be changed and then do something about it. And that's what I'm seeing a very talented group of group of players do on a consistent basis, which is exciting for us to be a part of. Mike, you mentioned culture and I can't help but think about some of the guys you brought in and Mike Taylor is, is a guy I think of Greg Holland, who was there the first time around. Uh, you got a guy like Santana who's been to a world series. What kind of effect, don't let me forget Ben attendee, by the way, what, what, kind of effect has that had on the guys in the locker room who may not have been here for the first time around um, when, when this Royals team went to won a world series, what that kind of effect of having those guys in the locker room been for, for some of the younger guys in that, in that locker room? Yeah, th there's no doubt, Tony, it's a huge effect. And it, we saw it happen early on. And, and I think it's very important. Uh, and many will say that I'm maybe put too much stress on culture and leadership um, but I believe without it, we'll, we'll never be as good as we can be. And uh, as a team that with a lot of young talent, we need leadership from different corners of that clubhouse. We need leadership from our starting staff. We need leadership in the bullpen. We need leadership on uh, from an everyday player. We need leadership from a Latin player. When you look at a third of this game or Latin influenced players and the, and the cultural and the, sometimes the language burial. And you also need leadership from your, your role players, your bench players. And another name to throw in there is Hanser Alberto who is a really good sign for the Kansas yeah. city Royals. And this guy, as well as Santana, as well as Taylor, as well as Ben Tendi, join in with Salvador Perez and join in with Greg Holland. 
uh, and have figured out how to take this group and make make sure we don't have these separate cliques, but we have groups uh, that are intermingling and they're, they're talking about the game, which is a great throwback for me to watch happen in a clubhouse where guys have a tendency to go off to where they're on their iPads, they're on their phones, and they're, they're kind of secluded. You're watching these guys take groups of people and pull them together and say, hey, let's talk some shop here. And, and to me, that's, uh, that's usually the making of taking a very good organizational culture and helping that morph into a great clubhouse culture. You know who intrigues me there is uh, Sal, Salvador Perez. Uh, I loved him covering the team in the playoffs and, and the World Series in 2014 and 15. I loved seeing the extension that they gave him. Um, what's his influence there in the clubhouse and around the team? Yeah, John, priceless. Um, and I, I believe he's, uh, he's truly uh, accepted the challenge about growing himself. And so when I make a big deal about this leadership, the biggest part about that is you can't lead anybody else until you lead yourself well. And I think Salvi's kind of was always that younger player, but he realizes this, this is his team now. And so he is pushing himself and challenging himself. And this is a guy with a mantle full of accomplishments, but he's realized that there are some things that he wants to do to start including and start, start teaching and start influencing, which is exactly what leadership is. It's influence. It's not position. It's not tenure. It's not a title. It's influence. And Salvi has influence in that clubhouse and he's using his voice. It, it was one of the, the best things that I was able to watch last year is Salvi really taking ownership. And sometimes you have to have players step aside. You know, we've had guys who've been around the organization for a while and, and other players who may have stronger leadership characteristics will kind of bow down to the fact that other guys have been there longer when in fact they may have more influence. So Salvi is really doing a great job. And then, Obviously, uh, there are plenty of things that you can track uh, analytically with what he's doing, whether it's on the offensive side, what he did in 2020, uh, continuing to be uh, uh, really impressive with, with how he works behind the plate, how he throws, how he blocks. But it's the intangibles, uh, how he is preparing, how he's walking some of these young pitchers and even some of the veterans through a game plan, how much pride he takes in doing all the little things right behind the plate that he knows multiplies throughout the field when he gets those right. And this guy to me is uh, one of those iconic players. Uh, he brings a passion, John, that I know that you see from the day that he got in the league. Uh, th this guy loves the game of baseball. And when you have that kind of talent, that kind of passion, and then, then you start working on those little tiny incremental improvements that end up making a big difference, I believe, in his career and makes a difference in how he multiplies positively through that clubhouse. Mike, I, I, I can't help but notice in the games I've seen this season and in spring training that uh, your lineup is offensively is built a little bit differently than a lot of the lineups built around the league. There's more guys who are looking to make contact, more guys who, who swing the bat like Whit Merrifield, where they are trying to put the ball in play as opposed to strike. You have some a, a mix of those power guys in there, but do you have a preference in terms of the style of lineup you like to see? Yeah, Tony, I think we have a good mix. Um, we we needed to have more of those grinding style at-bats. And I believe, as you bring up with Merrifield, I believe that's one of the better at-bats you're going to witness in Major League Baseball. A guy yeah. who's led led the league in hits, but he, he understands himself. He uses the field. He has a two-strike approach. It's not, uh, you know, 
home run strikeout walk, which I believe our fans are getting sick and tired of and, and has really changed the face of Major League Baseball. But uh, and, and then once again, I'll go back to the fact that we noticed that we need to have guys that are going to work their way through because we believe uh, the Kansas City Royal fans love that grinding pressure style baseball, whether it's at the plate, on the bases or defensively. Mm-hmm. And part of that is bringing guys in that fit that bill, like a Carlos Santana, who's led the league in walks, like an Andrew Benintendi with a 350 on base percentage that's able to work counts. And then you can hand up, you can pass off the baton to Salvador Perez last year. Uh, so, so productive. Uh, you, you pass it off to Jorge Soler with 48 home runs as a Royal and stadium as a home field. I mean, those are guys that can create great damage. And then you might forget about a Michael Taylor down at the bottom. Yeah. You know, we, and we haven't even talked about a guy who would have probably hit third for us this year. Who's on the injured list right now. And Alberto Mondesi, one of the most exciting electric players in the game. So I think we have a mix of speed, uh, grind style at bats, but potential damage in the middle. Um, I, I think what that leads to is a one, uh, a possible big production. But the other thing is, you know, you, if you're facing with Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi, and then potentially Carlos Santana in that first inning, you might get three outs, but it could also cost you 32 pitches. And yeah, that yeah. eventually helps take a starter out to the bullpen. Yeah. I, I really like your veteran mix and I love the uh, veterans that were brought in, but I th- ultimately a small market team is going to have to depend quite a bit on the drafting and developing. And uh, obviously you've got singer there already. Uh, Bobby Witt uh, made a mark in uh, spring training uh, and people think he could be a huge star. Um, you know, what, what, how do you evaluate uh, your young pitchers starting with Singer, but there are other guys that we really haven't seen much of yet. And also Witt. I mean, is he as good as people say? Yeah, I'll start with Bobby Witt. And, uh, he's got the potential to be a very, very uh, impactful player. Uh, this is the kind of guy who brings everything that we would look for as far as the athleticism. Um, we're working on a little bit of the versatility, giving also some exposure to the outfit. We can play shortstop. Uh, we played him quite a bit in spring training at second base. We watched him at third during our summer camp last year. So I think he's really uh, capable anywhere on the infield, but having the flexibility to also, it, it's one of the hallmarks, kind of what we do, watching Whit Merrifield go from the outfield to second base. Hunter Dozier will go from the outfield to first base, then to third. And having the versatility, I believe, helps every player, helps every team in the long run, especially a young guy just trying to make his mark. So that's part of Bobby's development right now. We believe the bat is going to play and, and a plus runner. Our, our, our real uh, excitement also still comes down to some of these young pitchers, John, that you mentioned that you have haven't even seen yet. Uh, Brady Singer's been here. We've seen a little bit of Chris Bubich. Uh, we've got another young pitcher, Daniel Lynch, on the cusp of being a very good, uh, big, tall lefty with uh, big stuff. Uh, you're talking about uh, Jackson Coar in that same draft, uh, Jonathan Heasley, uh, Jonathan Bolin. Uh, these are all guys that we watch come through spring training, and uh, this is a, a above-average stuff. And so uh, there's going to be an influx, but right now we, we need to have our veteran guys carry us. And the one thing that you look at the start of our season here is, you know, we've really only had uh, – two good starts. Um, Mike Miner is another guy who's done a real nice job for us and did a, a good job keeping us in the game yesterday. 
Um, but we've had some rough starts uh, and we're still able to, to kind of stay alive by playing good defense and our bullpen's been fantastic. But we're excited about the young guys that we have, but we need our veteran players to step up, especially in a season like this. I mean, every organization is going to be tested with the depth that they have, especially from the pitching from the pitching staff perspective. And we're excited to watch some of these guys. They're going to get opportunities and we'll see how, the, how they make the most of those opportunities when they do come. Mike, there's, there's clearly some, some trepidation around the league in terms of how pitchers are going to react going from 60 game season to a 162 game season. Uh, there are some of the thought though, that that could actually be a benefit. The pitchers didn't have to go, through as much as they uh, went through uh, in normal seasons. They only, you know, innings were down. Where are you coming down on this? Is there kind of like a, a wait and see how you are going to manage these guys and, and, and keep them healthy? Yeah, Tony, I think it's a, I think it's an end proposition. Um, I, I, I do agree that uh, with some of, especially some of the more veteran pitchers, you're stockpiling possibly some innings that they and some wear and tear on the, an arm that's already been established at the major league level uh, where I think this comes into maybe a little more of a, a different conversation is with the young pitching that still haven't been built up for 162 games and understanding what it, it means to get out there for a certain number of starts. And so uh, for those guys, I think that's, that's where you're going to have to uh, once again, rely on some of the veteran experience and the guys who've been through this before, because it is going to be hard to take some of the players who are just now being initiated in the major leagues or initiated last year, like a Brady singer um, and not have to be cautious that uh, you know, that they're over overall workload uh, is going to be, be different potentially this year. You know, the, the one part, the one caveat to this is um, not taking into or giving enough credit to the work the guys did while we were shut down last year uh, the amount of innings that we logged very closely uh, to what they were doing when uh, we weren't supposedly uh, doing baseball activity. These guys mm. were pitching and they were taking lives and they were giving us a very clear, uh, most of the time, video of uh, the work they were doing. And, and they were able to stay active and, and keep their arm active. And there needs to be some credit. Is it exactly equal one to one with major league? Uh, innings and the answer is no, but it does need to be taken into that equation as we're trying to figure it out. So we, we've made an, uh, and Dayton Moore is leading the charge on this. And we are uh, we are very uh, careful with these young arms, but we're not going to come out of the gate limiting these guys. But we'll take chances when we can to give them rest when they need it, when we see it's going to be needed. And uh, very um, impressed with uh, how sports uh, science and our training medical teams have, have collaborated to try and figure out through the kinetic chain when we can start to see some breakdown in that uh, body to where it could potentially yeah. lead to an injury and make sure that we're trying to stay ahead of it when any of those signs or symptoms show up. Mike, you just got through a series uh, which you won against uh, Tony LaRusso. You worked with very closely in uh, St. Louis and you followed him in uh, St. Louis as the Cardinals manager as well. Um, what, what was that like for you? Um, do you think Tony, you can't, I know it's only three, a few games that you played against him, but uh, do you think he's going to be able to do this? I mean, obviously it was quite a, uh, a different hire to hire somebody in their 70s who's in a, already in the Hall of Fame uh, to be manager. Um, so I was wondering just what, what was that like for you? And also, uh, if there's a difference, I know both are in Missouri, but uh, is there any difference between uh, 
from what you could tell so far, I know you've only been there for a weird year, plus a little part of another year, but St. Louis uh, versus Kansas City, how is that different for you too? Yeah, you know, as far as Tony goes, I, I was uh, I was surprised it didn't happen sooner. Uh, I just know how his mind works, and uh, you know, this man uh, understands the game and um, has a passion to to lead uh, a group of highly um, talented men. So uh, to see him jump back in there wasn't all that much of a surprise, and most of that's been in conversation. I knew as he worked in the uh, commissioner's office and um, as a special assistant and, and some other places, I knew that uh, there was a difference and a disconnect maybe to being involved in that day-to-day and the strategy and what he spent so many years uh, mastering his craft. And so, um, you know, I, I continue to watch every manager. I, I try to go into every game trying to learn something uh, new that I, I didn't know before and realizing that you have a Hall of Famer that's in the dugout across from you just try and pick up some of the ways that they're going about their business, whether strategy, whether you can see communication, whether it's uh, kind of thinking outside of the box, whatever I can grab, I'm going to be watching. And, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury as a player playing for Tony LaRusso. I wasn't good enough that I could do my job and try to figure out what he was doing with his as well. I just kind of <laughs> had to put my head down and try and, try and stay alive and stay in the major league as long as I could and uh, had uh, great respect for how he went about it. I, I winning Major League Baseball from Tony La Russa, uh, and uh, that's something that I'll, I'll always be grateful for. He gave me a chance to, to resurrect a career that was almost over and had a second career really start once I, I started to play for him. But I'll, I'll always uh, say that uh, I was probably as much, if not more, influenced by Tony and, uh, and, and how he went about his business as anybody in the game. Um, as far as the difference uh, in the two teams here in Missouri, I, I just I can't say enough about uh, – what a great fit it is for me here in Kansas city. Um, I, you know, my wife is from uh, the other side of the state and uh, we uh, ended up raising our kids there. So there'll be a tie that's always in St. Louis, but I found a new home here in Kansas city and really found a a strong link with how aligned Dayton Moore and I am, uh, how we are uh, linked and uh, the the idea of uh, what success looks like and the the concept of, of truly um, being transformational, um, in the lives of the people that have been entrusted our, into our care instead of transactional, uh, to be able to jump in and realize that this is uh, even more than just baseball and uh, our, our opportunity to make an impact in the community. But really that group that's put into our care, those coaches, those trainers, those players that we get to interact with every single day, the more that we can dive into to their lives, create an atmosphere where they can shine. We believe the natural byproduct will be a, a better product on the field. But in the long run, uh, what kind of impact did you have in the lives of people? And when you get people that are uh, equally yoked when it comes to the idea of what the definition of success looks looks like, it, it just uh, it, it makes for a, a lot of uniform uh, conversations and it makes uh, for a great place to show up every day. I've just been blown away uh, by this culture of the organization, blown away by the people that are involved here and honored to be a part of it. No doubt about it, Mike. Uh, we've held you long enough, man. We appreciate your time coming on. Good luck the wet rest of the way. You guys have been fun to watch in the early going. Tony, John, thanks. You guys take care and talk to you soon. All right, John, let's jump into the insider. I'm so happy baseball season is in full effect here because now we actually have some good inside stuff for you. And uh, Let's start with Carlos Correa. The, the Astros and Carlos had been in negotiations prior to spring training inning ending where where are they at now 
Yeah, I mean, they keep mentioning they're in negotiations, and that's uh, the public uh, uh, message anyway. And I saw the owner uh, suggest that the door is always open. But my understanding is, uh, I mean, we're in the season now. Correa had made it clear that he wanted to end negotiations once the season started. I mean, he started well. The team has started well. I, I don't see that changing. I think that uh, he is going to be a free agent. Uh, they could possibly sign him as a free agent. But let's not forget, they offered him six years, $120 million, which we reported here, which turned out to be about one-third of what Francisco Lindor got. You can make the case Lindor should get more, certainly, because Lindor has a great record also and has never really been hurt, never been hurt. Not shouldn't say really, never been hurt, but three times. So uh, I think it's going to be a long, a long road for them to try to get that done. Yeah, in some regards, the Astros may have played themselves <laughs> by letting Lindor go first because his number was so was was so much bigger than what they offered Carlos Correa. It almost seems like it prices them out in terms of bringing him back, but. We'll see. Uh, let's move to the Cubs. What's what's the latest on, on their young core? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty confident they're going to be able to get Anthony Rizzo signed. And, you know, he is a Cub. I mean, let's face it, he started his career briefly yeah. with the Padres. I don't know how many people remember that. You do probably, Tony. But I do. Yeah, I remember as a young yeah. guy. You, you're, you're one of the only ones then. But uh, he's a Cub <laughs> through and through. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of concur with them that they'll figure it out. Uh, my understanding, and Ken Rosenthal reported this first, that he was offered about $70 million. I think that's probably over four years, uh, maybe five in that range. But $70 million, I, he was looking for something over $100 million. So uh, nine figures I think there's room to compromise there. He's not off to a great start, but I don't think that will factor in. And I think they will figure it out. And and the other guys, yeah, Baez and Bryant, there was no headway made. There was no offer, certainly, to Bryant. I'm not sure there was one to Baez either. The Cubs were kind of in a cost-saving mode, as we saw this winter. And uh, so we'll see. But uh, those two are likely to become free agents. I could see them resigning Baez. I think Bryant, well... He has a good rapport with uh, Jed Hoyer, the general manager. I think he's going to shop as a free agent. He's probably going to end up elsewhere. If the Cubs somehow fall out of the Central or decide uh, they are not competitive, this will be the team that everybody is hunting in terms of wish lists at the deadline because there are clearly going to be rentals there if those two guys can't come to some type of agreement. And right now, it doesn't look like they will. A lot of teams who feel like they're just a piece away, they'll be talking a lot uh, to this Cubs organization. Now, this next guy, John, I close my eyes. I try to see him in a different jersey. I can't quite picture it. Is there any chance at all Freddie Freeman becomes a free agent? I'm with you. I, I see very little chance of this. I mean, they, he's a free agent after the year, uh, but I, I don't see it getting to that. I mean, he's clearly a brave forever. Uh, I think he's probably a Hall of Famer, certainly needs a few more years, got the MVP now in his back pocket, uh, certainly isn't slowing down. He is over 30, so we're going to have to look at the length of this deal. And uh, Alex Anthopoulos, the GM, has done some great negotiating in the past. We shall see where it ends up. I think that's really the question. What 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 kind of a deal does he get? Uh, I'm with you. Cannot see him going elsewhere, whether they get it done during the season or after the season. Uh, I see him as a brave. Okay, what would an insider be without this guy we're about to talk about? Trevor Bauer is reportedly <laughs> being investigated for substance on a baseball. Now, let me, I want to throw this caveat. In his defense, this is supposed to be um, secret. 
they're not we're not supposed to have found out about this uh, but we did um but what is he a victim or is is there is there something else to it? is there another any more updates on this situation well, you know i'll let you and and all the baseball fans judge whether he's a victim i, I will say this uh, he was correct that all the balls are being collected from all the games and mlb is trying to figure out how to uh, make it fair to keep things uniform in terms of the tackiness of the baseball, how much pine tar everybody's using, that nobody's spin rate it improves by 50% while others are only improving by 5%. And, right. you know, I mean, you look at his career stats, it is interesting. He was always a very good pitcher, but he only had an ERA under four one year before last year winning the Cy Young. You know, people pointed to hitters whose stats jumped, and so people will point, and, uh, you know, I don't think that's really – uh, although I just said it, I don't. I don't think that's real evidence. I don't think that's proof. Certainly, uh, that he did anything untoward, nefarious. So, um, you know, he's he's certainly going to have a target on his back. He's not a popular fellow. Uh, I agree with him that it's been collected from all the teams, uh, and and that uh, he's been singled out as the guy that it's now mentioned. And Ken Rosenthal did report that uh, he had what quote unquote suspicious baseballs, at least in the mind of somebody. Uh, that they're looking at. Um, right. We'll see what that means. Uh, I did hear, I can report this, that there was a team uh, that did complain about uh, Bauer. And, you know, it could be it's just a team that was upset that he pitched well against uh, this year. Or, you know, maybe they did notice something different, uh, something unusual about the baseballs. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I do think that ultimately this is not going to end up any kind of ban, punishment, anything else for Trevor Bauer. The goal here is to make things uniform for everybody in baseball so that everybody is able to grip the baseball, throw it where they want to throw it, not have it slip out and hit anybody or become dangerous, and not also have an unfair advantage. I'm not saying that Bauer has an unfair advantage. I'm not saying, saying he's not being targeted or that he's not unpopular because he is unpopular. And maybe it's unfair. I don't know. But I can tell you there was a team that did complain about him. Are there teams that complained about others? That I don't know. I do know about Bauer, though. Let's, uh, I have a simple solution. Somehow, let's get rid of the Mississippi bud because apparently that's not enough to, to make the grip better. Let's come up with whatever tackiness it is and just make the balls with it. Then we don't have to deal with anybody having to even touch the balls. They can go directly to the umpires, and that's it. But uh, this would, is – Let uh, me tell you, Tony, let me tell you, that is the perfect solution, and I suggested it. And the what came back to me when I suggested it is that they've tried that, and they try it with the pitchers, and they get complaints from some pitchers and not others. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a very dicey uh, – personal situation for these pitchers and it's not e it's not easy but that makes the most sense right to have all the pitchers yeah. have all the balls the same and have to live with it the way it is and anything that you do after that is illegal not just a little bit's okay and not a lot or whatever that would be the easiest way to make them uniform i i agree with you tony the, the mere fact that they actually think they're going to get all these pitchers to agree on one thing is is, <laughs> is, is, is hilarious in itself Very so good. Uh, hopefully, right. hopefully they come up with something because uh, clearly this is going to be a conversation we're having throughout the year. All right, let's go to Boston. They got off to a rough start. They found their way back in first place. A big part of that is J.D. Martinez. He struggled a lot last year, and I believe him. When it when he says he struggled due to not being able to see video, to watch himself, I 100% believe him. He's clearly back 
swinging, at least early on, the way that we're used to seeing him swing. Uh, what are the chances he opts out of his deal? Yeah, I mean, that is a possibility, uh, Tony. Um, as we record this, he's leading the league in most categories after a year in which he did almost nothing. Um, and I, and I think it's fair to throw out the pandemic year for him and for many yeah. other hitters. There were a lot of guys who hit below 220 and just weren't themselves. So now he's himself and he's a terror and just recently became, I think, the fifth or sixth guy in Major League Baseball. He hit three home runs for a third team. I mean, that's not easy to do. Three home runs in a game three different times with three different teams. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Alex Rodriguez, I know, did it. And Mark Teixeira, I know, did it. I'm showing my New York roots there, but there were a couple others who've done it. <laughs> Johnny Mize also was a New Yorker at one point, so I'm still not getting away from New York. But uh, J.D. Martinez, uh, you are right. Uh, that is a possibility. He didn't opt out the first two times. Didn't Was it coming off of great years? The DH was kind of devalued. Now I think we expect him to go to the universal DH that will raise his value. And if he has the year it looks like he's going to have, he could opt out. He's got two years to go at $38.5 million. I think this is, in the, is, this is in the game now where it's a potential uh, opt-out situation for J.D. Martinez. Yeah, well, we'll see. He's certainly terrorizing the, the American League at this point. All right, let's, let's slide over to, the, to another situation that has come up, uh, I think, in the first week of games. And – uh, there's been a few umpiring mistakes, at least that's how people are viewing it. Uh, you, you had the Michael Conforto hit by pitch on a strike that, to to his credit, oh, man, who was the umpire? I'm, I'm trying to remember his name Copa, at the time. Ron Copa. Yeah, Ron Copa. To his credit, he actually admitted he got it wrong. And once that's done, honestly, there's really nothing much we can really talk about. But it did happen. And then last night, we had Mike Baum come in at the plate and end up, excuse me, Alec Bohm getting at the, getting thrown out, what looked like he was thrown out to play, only to go to instant replay and see what I, I think everybody saw from their views, that he never touched it. He ends up safe. They uphold the call. And there are there seem to be a lot of outrage about those specific calls. Uh, what is What is any update on what the umpire situation is right now? Yeah, I, I get it. I'm with the outrage. I'm a little bit outraged myself. We shouldn't have two games end in the first uh, 10, 12 days of the season when they should not have ended. Uh, Conforto obviously nudged his elbow into the strike zone, and the umpire, Culpa, as you mentioned, uh, started to call it a strike. And then when he saw that he was hit by the pitch, which was correct, he was hit by the pitch, he awarded them base. But the umpires know, and I, I'm sure that Ron Culpa knows, that a ball in the strike zone, even, even if you're hit by the pitch, it's still a strike. It's not a hit by pitch. Uh, otherwise, the guys could be just standing over in the middle of the plate. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So um, he made a mistake. Uh, they were not able. They only reviewed the fact that he was hit by the pitch, which he was. Uh, right. It would have been good to see them review the fact that he moved his arm slightly. It's, hard, it's imperceptible, but if you see it on replay, you could see that he certainly didn't try to get out of the way, which he's required to do. But he certainly he did move his arm into the strike zone to get hit, and uh, that should be reviewable. It, it's not, and that's why that game ended when it should not have ended, and I feel bad for the Marlins here. The other one was the Braves, and uh, Bohm uh, being out at the plate and called safe, and they did review it. They do have a review for that, and the review um, didn't change the, the, the safe call, which it should have. I mean, I mean, looking at it, is it 100% that he was out and that he never touched home? 
I'm not I'm not convinced it was 100 percent, but it was pretty close to 100 percent that he that he never touched home. And even Bohm admitted it. I don't know whether he, he knew it at the time or he looked at it on the replay. But even his quote suggests uh, he got away with one there. Um, you know, uh, I I think that the review uh, panel uh, in in New York City uh, seems to be reluctant uh, to change the call on the field. Uh, to me, that's a bang bang play. Uh, the umpire really couldn't. You can't tell that at full speed. And uh, you know, I think the review panel, uh, the replay officials need to just say what they believe, which which was obvious to all of us, which is that it sure looked like he was not touching the plate and should have been called out. So uh, they weren't able to review one. I wish they could have. And this one they reviewed and didn't get it right. So uh, it's 0 for 2 for baseball on those two uh, episodes, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, especially in the Mets game, right? They have to find a way to add a rule in there that that says you can review anything that ends the game ends the game that is a questionable call because that one in particular, as you mentioned, Ron's getting ready to call that a strike, and he realizes it hits him, and in fast time, I'm sure that is not an easy tell, but you should be able to then go look at it if a team is protesting the way the Marlins were, and then on the flip side, it. it I think Major League Baseball is going to continue to leave themselves open for criticism as long as instant replay is handled the way it's handled. We, you, you look at the other sports, you get an explanation of what happened. You get nothing in baseball, and and the fact that the there's a perception at least that the umpires that are in the reviewing room have a hard time overturning calls that their fellow umpires are making, whether it's an accurate perception or not, really doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's That is the perception out there by a lot of fans who are watching, and I just think it's a, a dangerous, uh, a slippery slope if you're Major League Baseball, for sure. That's going to do it for this episode of Big Time Baseball for Tony Gwynn Jr. He's John Heyman. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Tony Gwynn Jr. He's at John Heyman. This podcast is at RDC underscore Big Time Baseball. Until next time, we'll catch you later.